Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Counseling on Demand. I am Fred Riley. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Hey, uh, as we get underway, just a note here, my a uh, little bit under the weather. Uh, a lot of people think I'm sick. I actually feel just fine, but uh, spent the week hoping to get my voice back here. So uh, you might hear a cough here or there, but uh, you know what? We're going to press forward. So today's topic, we're going to be talking about uh, boys in particular and, you know, this idea that it, uh, some barriers for um, them getting the help they need in terms of treatment for especially things like depression and anxiety. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to visit some of the things that uh, get in the way, some of the thoughts and beliefs and, and barriers, like I said, that uh, really get in the way of a young man expressing his depression, suicidal ideation, so on and so forth. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what to do in terms of how to reach these young men. And uh, and again, some of the stuff will apply to really anybody with depression. Uh, but we're focusing uh, really particularly today on on boys and uh, the suicide rates uh, for boys have gone up. Uh, teenage boys have gone up uh, quite significantly just in the last three years. So um, I think it's definitely worth addressing. So uh, what are the reasons, you know, that uh, we're not hearing from these young men? And uh, as I thought about those that I'm working with um, and what I see, there, there's a few things that are pretty standard. And, of course, what you're going to hear, so if you have a son, maybe even a daughter as well, but if we're looking at a young man um, and, and you're a parent or your sibling or whatever, um, you know, Obviously, there's this stereotypical macho man. There's this article that I read this week, and, and this, this guy that was uh, as a youth that was suicidal said, you know, um, he referred to, uh, uh, to Tom Cruise as kind of this, this example in his life of macho. You know, he can handle anything. And so as he's going through youth, uh, he's going to look at what we call this archetypal manhood, and Tom Cruise wouldn't admit any weaknesses so if he's not going to, uh, if he can tough things out and handle things well, and and that's his example of manhood, then he's going to be uh, in a place where he wants to um, emulate that. He's going to say, you know what, I just got to work through these feelings. So there's this idea of macho, whether it's through media, uh, movies, so on and so forth, that says, okay, you know what, you need to persist, you need to push on. Uh, you're you're not handling things very well. Now, one note here is whether it's a, whether it's a an adult or a child or what have you. It's very common within depression for the mind to say, you know what, you need to try harder. Um, 
others are uh, suffering, but uh, they're handling it better, so on and so forth. So that's not just, it's more about a macho thing with a young man, but the idea is, okay, let's, you know, um, anybody I saw in the ER, people I see now, one of the things they'll talk about is how uh, they feel weak, they don't feel strong, uh, they feel like other people have the same emotions, they're just not handling them well. Okay, so that's one of the things that is making it hard for us to identify that our sons or our students and so forth are struggling is this idea of matching up to this macho. And that, that, ma- that macho piece starts to really kick in, you know, around age 11 or 12. This is where kids start to set new rules like real men don't cry, so on and so forth. And so um, as those suicidal thoughts, the depression really starts to kick in as they go into puberty, um, they're going to be looking at some of these social rules. In fact, uh, just a minute ago, I mentioned, I mentioned this idea of this archetypal father, the ar- archetypal man. Um, we have a tendency, your son, a student, whoever has a tendency to just kind of evaluate and watch the unwritten rules of what manhood is all about or what fatherhood is all about. And they're going to kind of look more on the macho end of things. But the idea is, okay, um, you know, you hit yourself, uh, you hit your thumb with a hammer, okay, you shake it off, you keep moving. When you were a young boy, you could cry and mom would make you feel better. But now we're back to this macho thing, but we're also, okay, a good, strong person, a good, strong individual holds back those emotions, whatever they are, and they don't express them. And again, we're already starting to feel this idea that if I express them, maybe I'm letting dad down because he doesn't express his emotions. Um, And so why do I need to, or why should I? And then and we'll talk about that again in a second, too, with this idea of what, what father models. Okay, so we have these family rules. I tell you what, I have so many people come in, and they uh, they are so opposed to therapy. They're so opposed to medication because the unwritten family rules are there's no – or culture sometimes. There's no such thing as depression or, you know what, my father, my grandfather, your aunt, whoever, they had something like that too, and they just fought through it. They didn't need any medication. Or somebody took medication and got really sick. So these are all ideas that boys hear and say, okay, you know what, other people in my family have experienced depression. By the way, we don't know if they what, what they really experienced, but a, but a child, an adolescent is going to say, okay, well, if a family member can do it, then I can do it as well, whatever that they're comparing themselves to, they really don't know. But the other idea is, okay, we they pick up on things. The way dad talks about medicine or the way the mom talks about how her sister was on meds and her sister freaked out, that type of thing. So if I'm, a, if I'm an adolescent hearing that, I tell you what, I'm going to hesitate because what does it mean if I'm on meds? So the stigma, what does it mean if I have to go to therapy? And what I'm learning is that if I do take medication or if I go to therapy, you know, the therapists don't help. I don't even know what I would say to a therapist anyways. And the medications, they can actually make it worse. And so so that's one of the big barriers. And, and unfortunately, I'll get a lot of parents that come in and the parents come in and they'll say, we want to help our son, but we're absolutely not interested in uh, medication. And you know what? That's fine. I'm not going to push somebody towards medication that doesn't need it. But the idea is, like I have a young man right now that I see that uh, he's he is. Uh, there's different level, levels of depression, and man, he is really deep in this this depression. And so the idea is, the family rules are saying to him that no matter how significant his depression is, family is saying it's not significant enough because 
the family name, we don't do that. We, you know, we're strong. We, we grew up in the Midwest. We were hay balers, you know, that type of thing. And the idea is, okay, then that now turns back to the boy who says, okay, I've got to live up to the toughness of these family rules. So they get scared. They're, they wonder what it's, going to be mean, what it's going to mean if they're in therapy and so forth. And so a lot of times they come in. If they do come in, they'll come in with false expectations. Another thing that's really huge, and this might apply for um, teens in general uh, that I see, and that is that when you have these feelings, first of all, your son, uh, a student that you have, a friend, they may not recognize these feelings as depressed. They may not know how to label them, and they have no awareness. And what I mean by that is when you think about when you were a youth, right, Okay, did you have awareness of resources? Did you have awareness that a doctor did anything to treat feelings? No, you, the idea is doctors for stitches, colds, that type of thing. So the idea is another barrier to getting help, another barrier for uh, barrier to us seeing that a boy needs help is that they don't know, they aren't aware of resources. They're not aware that they can even have resources. And then access to resources. Um, how do I go about it? They don't know about insurance. They don't know about going to what doctor when. They don't know what that means in terms of mom and time away and, and therapy and all those different types of things. So they don't have an awareness of resources. And then what does it mean if I use those resources? So once they get into that place, again, that's a very big barrier. And then uh, one last thought before we take a break here. Um, there's this idea, and it comes from childhood, that the feelings I have are shared by all people. So if I'm trying to be macho, I don't want to look weak or what have you in front of dad or mom. I've got a sibling that's not doing well. As a matter of fact, I have a sibling, uh, I have a guy that's uh, severely depressed, and he. I was working with somebody else in his family, and they're getting better, and he was, he was uh, really avoiding uh, letting that depression out because he didn't want to be another burden on his family. So he comes into me severely depressed because a strong man doesn't want to let down, his brother down, doesn't want to let his dad down, right? So he's taught himself to hold it together, but comes in, he's got suicidal thoughts, so on and so forth. And part of it is, goes back to, he thought that what he was feeling was what we all feel and that he just needs to to bear it. He just needs to, um, as a matter of fact, his feelings, if he's not strong enough to, to uphold his feelings like everybody else, they have those feelings, they have those thoughts. Then if, if he's weak, then that impacts the support that his brother needs and it impacts a mom and a dad that are exhausted already. So these are all, there's many, but these are some of the big things I see that serve as barriers to uh, young men, uh, culturally, so on and so forth, family rules, um, archetypes, all kinds of things. These are some barriers that tend to get in the way of these young men um, putting themselves in a position where they can be identified. And thus, like I talked about in the past with uh, with pretenders, okay, they're going to put on a face that makes it really hard for us to see that they're in need of help. So we're going to take a break here. In just a minute, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some things that you can do to help look and help invite some commentary, some uh, throw some ropes out for some, some of these guys to hang on to and uh, move forward and get some help.
This is Counseling on Demand. Thank you for listening and uh, coming back to the second half of this topic. Today we're talking about uh, adolescents and boys in particular and how they're kind of not being, uh, not showing up on the radar and why they're not showing up on the radar in terms of treatment of depression, specifically suicidal ideation and so forth. So we talked about some of the barriers, the things that get in the way of uh, them reaching out in, you know, uh, in a very open way. When I was uh, young, you know, I had a really bad depression. And I tell you what, I did everything I could to follow these rules of being macho and and the family rules of, you know, kind of emotionally just being okay. Um, and actually one thing, peer group, I forgot to mention that, you know, the peer group seems to be handling things really well. So as I looked at my peer group and I looked at my emotions, which I really didn't know, I assumed everybody else felt like I did. So that's where a lot of these, I've experienced these things myself and it can really keep you in a place where, where you hold it in and wonder why you don't have um, the strength or the ability to push through it, why you feel so um, helpless and, and why other people can do that. So anyway, so what we're moving towards now is what can we do? You know, with depression, whether it's a child, an adolescent or adult, um, depression is something that people with these barriers, it's really hard to talk to them about. That might be a sign of weakness. They may not know how to express their feelings. What does it mean if I acknowledge that I have these feelings? And so we can talk, you can talk, you can really try to reach somebody that's experiencing depression and they kind of pull up that mirage, right? They, they pull into that pretender mode. And even if you're seeking after trying to help them, it's going to take some time. I don't think I've ever, even as a professional, I don't think I've ever sat down and had somebody acknowledge their depression within a first visit, okay? They're, they're really going to weigh out what does it mean if I have that depression? Um, can we label it something else? But the idea is, okay, I've never run into somebody that just said, hey, I think I have depression. There's a guardedness there. So one thing to, to really be mindful of is that you're going to create a presence. It's kind of like a presence like uh, as a parent to an adolescent, you're taking them out to ice cream or something once a, a month with a particular reason. No, what you're doing is you're creating a presence. The idea is that your child, your daughter, your son knows that their cheesy dad, mom, sister, whatever, they know that you're going to go out to ice cream. Usually you're going to talk about something that doesn't really matter, but it gives them a place to start to say, hey, and start to voice some of those concerns. And so they know that there's going to be that place to land uh, and that you're going to listen and so forth. So one of the most important things that you can do to start to help identify and reach your hands out to, to a, a young man is to create just what I call check-ins, just regular um, interactions that really don't have any felt purpose behind them. The idea is if someone's depressed and they feel like, you're nursing them that, that they're a project, they're going to dig in even deeper. The idea is you're just going to hang out with them, build that trust with them, and they'll start to learn that, hey, with this person, whether it's my dad or my friend or whoever, it seems like I can talk to them about anything. And as they start to feel like they can talk about anything, they're going to start to throw out some ideas about depression and what they're feeling just to kind of see, kind of bounce them off of you. Um, another thing, and this you have to be careful with, um, sometimes this happens a little bit too much. And so the word I use is some, some disclosure. And what I mean by that is 
you know, as a parent, you're not going to say to your son, when I was your age, you know, I, I cut up and down my arms and I was going to do suicide this way, that way, or what have you. But what you can do is you can say, you know what, um, I am aware from some of my own experiences that what depression feels like, and here's a good statement, I can't help but wonder if what I see is that kind of a feeling. Okay, you're not accusing them. You're just saying, you know what, based on what I've experienced without detail, I can't help but wonder if maybe you're feeling something, you're feeling exhausted, you're feeling tired. Okay, just like I said a minute ago, okay, until they build up that trust and still, until they start to dare, okay, that might be six months down the road before you get back to that conversation. The idea is you're just laying it out there and you're saying, hey, Listen, our neighbor, I notice our neighbor, I have this friend that I go to lunch with, and man, she really struggles with this. Okay, that's this vicarious information. In other words, you're telling a story about somebody that is struggling with depression and letting your son kind of evaluate himself, and you're saying it's a safe topic, it's a safe place to go. Again, be very careful with disclosure. I have I have uh, young men, young women that come in, and they know way too much. The idea is to identify and to elicit some talking. We don't need to go into these big heavy details. We just have to, we just need to take the opportunity to say, hey, there's been some things in my life. I'm wondering if if you're experiencing them. And we're talking more about mood, feeling like no one cares, feeling kind of helpless, but we're not going to get into ups and downs of meds or how we use cocaine to get through it or all that kind of stuff. That's going to scare the kid. And it's also going to create uh, kind of an inappropriate relationship where uh, the child feels like they're supposed to be very open with you about everything. And then they are in a place where they're saying, well, you handled your depression this way, so why can't I? Um, if the teen does talk, um, listen. Okay, the idea is if, if this young man talks, okay, that's a huge act of bravery. Um, they're going to regret that they did it probably. So the idea is we're not going to get into advice mode. We're just going to be there. And in therapy land, we call that joining. And so when you finally get, you know, my oldest daughter Sometimes I wonder if she has vocal cords and she'll start talking and I get so darn excited that I, I probably suffocate her. I got to join her. So the idea is I'm just going to enjoy this moment, let her talk and and just kind of help her understand that when she's talking, there's a safe place for those things to land. So if your teen does talk, okay, listen. And if they want advice, they might ask for advice. It doesn't mean that they're going to accept your advice. But the idea is, okay, you know what? Let's talk about this. I appreciate you sharing it. And then what if anything is your dad? What if anything is your mom? What if anything as a teacher or what have you um, can I do? Can I help resources or otherwise? Um, now, sometimes, uh, uh, well, not sometimes. Let me rephrase that. Uh, majority of the time, um, young man will talk to uh, a friend, but it will be a friend that we want to be watchful of because if I'm going to let my macho down, okay, I'm going to let my macho down likely with somebody that I can sense is struggling as well. And this happens with young women as well. And we can, and that's okay that we want them to disclose, we want them to share, but kind of be mindful of those that they're hanging around with that they might, if they're going to share, they might share with them first. That's okay, but that's a time where we want to kind of go in and, and do some of that listening where we're saying, hey, I can't help but wonder if you're feeling this. So if they're not talking to you, they're going to be talking to a journal. They're going to be listening to music that helps them 
express that frustration. They're going to do a lot of isolating. They're going to they're going to talk to a friend that has um, that uh, you know kind of helps them get past that macho barrier. Okay, the idea is with anything with parenting is really create a presence so that your son knows that he has nothing to lose. By he, his macho doesn't go away. Um, his peer group's going to be okay. The family rules. You know what? Um, whatever they think the family rules are, try me, talk to me so we can break those barriers. Okay. So these are a lot of unsaid barriers and, and that's, that's, uh, something that's really difficult with depression. You know, um, you can have a lot of education. You can be depressed yourself, but depression, you know what, that's something that's really hard to detect sometimes because, of these barriers, this, these uh, rules for not expressing it. By the way, when I'm talking about depression, I am talking about suicide risk as well. So some things to do, create these regular places where it's ice cream, whatever, but there's no expectation of anything to talk about. A teen will shy away from that. If they know that ice cream means that they're going to have to talk about something, okay, what we call talk, what they call lecture, then they're not going to participate, Okay. We're not going to talk, by the way, on these ice cream trips or whatever. We're not going to talk about emotionally intimate things. We're just going to let them know that we're there. Let them bring up the emotional piece when they're ready. Maybe some disclosure, not a whole lot. But the idea is, you know, based on some things I felt, I can't help but wonder if you're experiencing this. They're going to say no because they're going to push you away. That's fine, but that doesn't mean stay away. And then also be in my, be mindful of their friends. Um, not You know, I talk to my daughter's friends all the time. Um, just kind of kick it with them a little bit. The idea is I want them to feel comfortable talking to me about uh, my daughter if they're concerned, so on and so forth. So we're going to create uh, this, uh, ident- not this identity, but access to and mindfulness of, of your son and, and those he hangs out with. And you know what? Um, he's probably going to disclose something that there first. And so the idea is be mindful of maybe behaviors, be mindful that, hey, you may not hear from him. You may hear from, like I said, his journal or a concerned friend or that type of thing. Um, Very hard to detect, but you know what? With that mindfulness, that awareness, being aware of some of these barriers, you know, and really the awareness, paying attention to that gut is going to be the best thing that you have. And you follow up on that, you follow up on the awareness from some things we've talked about here. And that will create an environment that invites ultimately these boys to come out and talk. Thank you so much for listening. Watch out for those boys. Well, anybody really that uh, may be struggling. Keep your keep your mind, keep your uh, eyes open, and uh, watch out for those in need. I am Fred Riley. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You can find me on uh, gettingbacktolife.com on the internet. That's getting back the number two life.com.